Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, just, huh. gear, gear, just gearing up for the upcoming November elections, as I want to do, uh, like any good political scientist, and for that matter, politi- uh, politics junkie. Yes? I, I am. Um, okay, so I have been immersing myself here lately in politics as well, um, because I can't help it. Um, And I love the elections. I love the election season. I think it's fascinating. But what I've been thinking about here lately is, do you remember that there used to be a television show called Kids Say the Most Outrageous Things? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was parents taking video of their kids doing and saying outrageous things. I think that there ought to be politicians say the most outrageous things. (laughs) Because politicians say some stuff that you think to yourself, no, here's what happens to me. Like a couple of weeks ago for readers uh, or for listeners, rather, um, we we record uh, a couple of weeks ahead um, uh, sometimes um, and sometimes the week of it's it's sort of random uh, depending on our schedules. But a couple of weeks ago, President Trump was in North Carolina where he encouraged folks to, <laughs> to vote more than once. Uh, send in your your mail ballot but then go to the polls and vote and he may have meant go to the polls and check to see if if your vote has been cast i'm not entirely certain what he meant but that's kind of not what he said and the the elections commissioner of north carolina was like that's a felony please don't vote more than once like it's illegal to do that in north carolina and then apparently the president also said it again in Georgia um, because he is uh, concerned with election fraud and missed votes and um, and especially in a state like North Carolina, which is purple, right? That can be a that can be a swing issue. Um, so I get I get that part of it, but I got thinking. Are there even rules about what you can say in politics? Can you just say pretty much anything you want to on the campaign trail and and it's okay? Like, can you say stuff about your opponent? Can you say stuff? About their significant others, their kids, their Their, brothers. Their dog, their cat, their whatever. I mean, are you allowed to just... Basically, there are no rules about that. There are no rules. No. So if you and I were running for president. Yes. I could. Oh, you could go ahead and besmirch whatever remains of my good name. I I could say they say, because they are, you know, them. They say that that Augie is the worst teacher to ever teach at VCU. His students hated him, and he was an atrocious professor. Yes. Yes. Even though that's not true. Well, I, I leave that for others to decide, <laughs> okay? Okay. But well, what you're talking about here is how uh, candidates try to define their opposition in the minds 
of the voters. How is that not defamation for me to say unpleasant things about you? Okay, because the assumption is in defamation law, okay, that you don't have as a private individual recourse to go ahead and change that opinion. But with candidates, okay, you do. You do, okay? Um, there is a political science phrase for what you are describing. It's called mudslinging. And it is in the history of American politics, electoral politics, okay? There is a well-known history of mudslinging, right? You know, when George Washington, okay, ran for president, okay? Um, you know, people went ahead and said, um, that he had a problem with booze. Why? <gasps> okay. Really? Yes. George Washington. Like they didn't say things like he didn't cut down cherry trees. It's a lie. No, they didn't. They said ahead. he was an alcoholic. Yes, because except they didn't have the term alcoholic. Alcoholic, right? He had a problem with booze. Why? Because he had his own distillery. Okay. He was one of he was one of the more prominent. Okay makers of alcohol in our country's young history. I'm going to say that I come from a long line of bootleggers and there is nothing wrong with people who make their own alcohol. Hey, my great grandfather, okay, <laughs> had a still in his basement, okay? <laughs> he, was, he made moonshine, right? One of the saddest days of my young life was after he died, my grandmother and I went downstairs to their basement and she forced me to disassemble the still, okay? Oh, that's I, cruel. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, Grandma, do you know that your father, okay, this was one of the proudest things he ever made, okay? She was just like, I have no use for it. Get rid of it. Either you disassemble it or I will. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, Grandma, right? Um, you know, when Thomas Jefferson ran for president, okay, his opponent's candidate, okay, so the first time he ran for president, um, okay, he ran against uh, John Adams, right? Yeah, 1800. Yeah, okay. Um, and, you know, the Adams campaign, okay, got information out to newspapers that supported the Federalist cause, Federalist, okay? Um, allegations and rumors that uh, Thomas Jefferson liked to have sex with slaves. Now, what we've come to find out is there was some truth to those allegations, okay? But this also kind of, kind of begs the question, okay, is everything fair game in an election, okay? And thus defamation or laws about defamation don't apply because the assumption is who gets to decide whether or not the information is relevant? Voters, okay? So for instance, with the, hype, with the example you gave to start off today's podcast, President Trump, I'm sorry I'm laughing, okay? Because there, there is an old joke in, 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 in American political science, okay? Um, vote early, vote often. Yes. Which is the Chicago method, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because there were elect there were elections in the late 1800s throughout the 20th century, 
where it was alleged candidates in Chicago, okay, uh, received votes from people, okay, who apparently voted twice or dead people who uh, continued to vote even though they had long passed away. What was the name of the boss? Um... Oh, uh, Daly. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, Who sort uh, of ran that that whole yeah. Chicago election thing? Yes, and, and Tammany Hall was in New York, right? Similar, a similar yeah. thing of yes, you could uh, get a whole bunch of people to come vote, and they may vote more than once, and they may. But modern elections, that's not really. I think we now have checks and balances to prevent people from voting more than once, right? Yeah. So that's not a huge problem the, the, in modern elections is it no the administer yeah and i'm glad you brought this up i, I hope we were going to touch upon this right you know of recent vintage um the republican party primarily has proclaimed um that there is voting fraud and that's the reason why we need to have rather stringent uh laws regarding who registers to vote who actually does vote and how are the votes counted which is part voter of voter ID laws and other yes. things that have been yes that have then, been restrictive in some places yes and that's why you know in part the president went ahead and um, suggested that uh, if you cast your ballot by mail and you're not entirely sure or confident that your ballot got there on time or would be counted. You should then go to the polls and file a backup vote, okay? Which, as um, uh, a state representative in North Carolina pointed out, that would violate uh, North Carolina law. In most states, it would violate the law if you attempted to vote more than once. In fact, voting, like many government, if you will, run services, has become extremely bureaucratized, okay? There are so many checks and balances, so much red tape. That's the reason why, for instance, more than likely in a number of states after November's election, we won't know the outcome in that state for two or three days later. And the reason why is we have passed laws or laws have been passed in those states that are designed to create what you just referenced checks and balances. How do we make sure that those who voted, okay, were eligible to vote, registered, and then actually did? Did they do, do so in the appropriate manner, okay? Did they sign their name to the absentee ballot? Did they check the correct boxes? Does, Are they even from that district? Like, can they even vote for vote? that yes. representative or that senator? Because they may not be, so, you know what I mean? Like, that. that's... Well, the other thing, too, is is some states, right, it has to be postmarked by the date of the election, and someplace it has, to, it has to be received by the date of the election. So if it's postmarked by, given the issues with the post office, which I know we're going to talk about in a future episode, um, th that may take five or six or seven days for everything to arrive that's been that was actually properly postmarked yes and the larger issue that we're going to get to when we do the future episode about 
the post office and how the post office may impact this year's elections is that in many states, they just don't have the hired staff, the paid staff, okay, to receive all of those mailed ballots to count them. It, I mean, the elections people don't, not that, the, right. not the, the state, post office people. Yeah, the states themselves don't, right? Yeah, because the elections officials are usually the, and I'm saying this with love in my heart, the two little old ladies that I go see when I vote, who I have seen every time that I've ever voted in, in the city where I live because I've been living in the same spot for quite a while. They know me and they're like, hello, hello. But a lot of those folks aren't going to be doing anything with elections because they're, um, they're volunteers. And right. And they're of an age group that shouldn't be mixing with other people because of COVID. Yes. So it there's is. limited volunteers as well as limited paid folks. And think about this. So much of the counting of ballots before this year is actually done, okay, as you vote. Because we have, okay, machines that immediately count your vote once it's either scanned or you hit the little button on the touch screen that submits your vote. That, that is immediately counted. But with mailed slash absentee ballots, you're going to have to open the envelopes. Then you're going to have to go ahead and put them in piles. Okay, the piles are going to have to be checked to make sure that the ballot was filled out correctly. Then it gets counted. Well, that, yeah, that, after yeah. they make sure that the person can, like you, like you said, they have to be verified. Like yes. that's a process. That is more labor intensive okay, then in many voting precincts and jurisdictions have had to experience in, oh, say, let, oh, you know, the last 40 to 50 years. Yeah. Okay. So because of that, okay, we may not know immediately in a number of states, including a number of battleground swing states, for instance, like North Carolina, which is considered purple, and you made the reference for those of you who don't know that what that reference means, what we're talking about here is uh, the Republican Party is symbolized by the color red. The Democratic Party is symbolized by the color blue. Swing states, okay, where it appears as though the voters in that state, okay, there's not an overwhelming majority, are considered purple states, the combination of blue and red, okay? North Carolina is one of those states, right? Um, you know, other swing states include many of the Rust Belt states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Florida is your classic example, right? Florida and Ohio. Okay, Florida and Ohio, right? Drive, Virginia, drive Virginia huge. It used to be, but increasingly because of demographics, okay, most political scientists believe Virginia is now a blue state, okay, is a blue state. Okay? I would, if it's blue, it's not super blue. No, it's not super blue. But like California and New York, which are. Yes, right. I mean, they're overwhelmingly Democratic, right? right? But that's going to be the difficulty here. And that's why, for instance, when you have, you know, the president say, you know, vote twice, all of a sudden, <laughs> 
you know, alarm bells go off, right? I mean, you and I talked um, uh, before we started recording about some of the outrageous things that presidential candidates have said or their proxies have said, right? Oh, you know, so Kerry got swift boated. Yes. Right, where he he was accused of not having earned his his military awards in, in Vietnam and which was not true, but it cast enough doubt um, in some people's minds. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, what uh, what Nia is referencing is in the 2004 presidential election, uh, John Kerry, uh, former senator of Massachusetts, okay, uh, was running against uh, the incumbent, Bush 43. And, you know, John Kerry, one of his core criticisms of the Bush administration was the global war on terrorism. And the way he framed it was, as a former decorated military veteran during the Vietnam War, okay, a war that many Americans, okay, um, didn't believe the country should have entered. And even when we entered, we stayed too long. Kerry went ahead and said, as a veteran of that war, I can tell you that I have serious doubts about what we are doing in Iraq and in Afghanistan. But then there were allegations that for at least one of his medals, okay, um, which, uh, which he received because of his performance uh, when a, what, a swift boat was uh, under a, fire a, and he, boat. okay, um, it, it, there were allegations that um, perhaps he should not have won the medal, that perhaps he was actually a coward during the incident, right? Now, he, I think, persuasively defended his performance, but look what it did during the campaign. It forced him for a number of weeks to continue to respond to those allegations. You know, think about, for instance, in 2008, uh, 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 then-candidate Barack Obama had to spend weeks defending his association with... Uh, Reverend Wright. Yes, okay, Reverend Wright, okay. Or... Uh, and, the, and the questions about his birth. Yes, I mean, his citizenship. There was his, his birth okay. certificate, right? Like, I don't know how... I, I, I hate to break it to anybody, but Hawaii was actually a state when Barack Obama was born. He's not that old. Um, <laughs> but, you know... Well, and the thing is, what I find so interesting about that is that it's hard to, it's really hard to defend against certain kinds of allegations, right? It's hard to defend against cowardice. It's not hard to defend against your birth certificate because you've either got one or you don't right yes the birth certificate thing is pretty factual there are people who still are birthers and they also probably believe that the earth is flat we never landed on the moon and and like half of us are lizards right so we can't take those people seriously but but it's really hard to defend against criticisms of for instance not serving in the military um i I can fault a lot of things 
for a lot of people, but avoiding military service during a war that you don't believe in, I struggle to fault because a lot of people did that. A lot of people tried to avoid that service. Sure. Um, I mean, part I mean, of it was class. A lot of wealthy people tried to avoid it. A lot of white people tried to avoid it by going to other countries because they could, right? They could, they could leave. And so they did, right? So, so this idea that that somehow is negates you as a human, like that's just a natural fear of, I don't want to go die in Vietnam. Like, well, I mean, think about the criticism of Bush 43 in the 2000 presidential election. Democrats went after him because he was able to avoid service in Vietnam. Right. Okay. Now, does that make you, you know, less worthy of a candidate for the office of president? Should you be found guilty because who you, who your friends are? Well, or, I mean, you know, think about, for instance, again, Barack Obama's uh, relationship um, with uh, a minister right. Okay. Right. I mean, I got to be honest. If I, if I, you know, uh, uh, if I was guilty by all the people who I've associated with <laughs> or the converse, you know, people would be found guilty because they associated with or were friends with me. That's more my, right. That's more okay. my concern is my I, friends might be dragged down by me as opposed to being me being dragged down by my friends. My friends are pretty fat. Nevertheless. Okay. I mean, you know, these are friends that have, you know, stood by me. Right. Right. Or, you know, um, you know, we did things at a certain age that were, you know, maybe inappropriate for that age, definitely inappropriate, you know, for the age that many people run for president, but nevertheless, okay, you know, we're supposed to be found, you know, less worthy for elected office because of that. Well, and there's an argument to be made of if you could avoid going to war, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you would continue that, although it didn't continue with President Bush. Yeah. So but, that, I mean, that argument falls through. But, but I mean, what... Even, you know, mud about, you know, the uh, significant others of presidential candidates. Or, right? right, like, or in the primaries when Ted Cruz's wife was brought into. Yes. Was brought into the, that is totally not cool. I, I draw the, I think you should be able to say, well, no, I don't think you should be able to say anything you want about the other candidate because I don't like that. But I understand that that may be part of how politics works, but I'm not, I don't think you should bring people's kids or their spouse or their animals, right? Like <laughs> none of that should come into it because that's not the person who made the choice to run, right? Like when people said nasty things about Amy Carter, that was just obnoxious. She didn't choose to be the, the kid of the president. Yes. He chose to be a kid. Like she's a kid, well, she didn't choose that. She's a kid. Same with Chelsea Clinton, right? Like don't, don't make fun of people. Don't make fun of the Bush girls for trying to get away from their secret service guys and go out for a drink because you know how hard it must be to be 16 and followed around by a secret service guy like way to, be, way to be killing my social life there buddy you know i like and it's not i mean the social service secret service isn't trying to care the, kill their social life it's just a, a natural fact of all of that but it's got to be obnoxious same with the obama kids like leave people's kids alone 
leave people's kids alone, leave their spouse alone. That's not that person's fault that this guy, that this individual decided to run for office. But what I find more fascinating is when people shoot themselves, like they pull out the gun and shoot their own foot. When they say things that you think, really? Well, you I mean, do that. Well, well, yeah, you, you can't do that, right? I mean, we gave the example of Trump. I mean, earlier this summer, Joe Biden, who is now the Democratic Party um, uh, uh, candidate for president, <laughs> and I'm sorry, uh, Nia's just laughing already, right? Because <laughs> she's heard me mention this before, because I was just like, no, you can't do that, right? <laughs> Joe Biden, now in, in, in to Biden's credit, he's kind of sort of walked it back in the last couple of weeks, right? But nevertheless, earlier this summer, he went ahead and said when he was, if he was elected president, one of the first things he would do is order that everybody in the United States, if they left their house, had to wear a mask. Now, that may make good sense in regards to public health and responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. On the other hand, no president has that authority. None. Absolutely none. <laughs> oh, so what you're declaring is you're going to make a dictatorship in the United States <laughs> yeah, right? in which you will, what are you going to do? Like, I have to admit, I'm a mask wearer, and I would be walking out of my house without a mask. I'd be like, all right, what are you going to do about it? Because it's a ridiculous, it, that's what I mean. Or like Michael Dukakis, when he got inside a tank, <laughs> I'm like, okay. No one's buying what you're selling here, my friend. Like this is, you have pulled out a gun, except you don't own one, and shot yourself in the foot with it, metaphorically, because you look like a crazy person. You look like an idiot. Like, yeah, I mean, and Nia just gave another good example, listeners. One of the criticisms of Michael Dukakis from the um, uh, first President Bush, uh, okay, so this was the 1988 presidential election, right? One of the criticisms that Dukakis was getting was he was too much of an, an egghead, an intellectual, you know, north, Northeast intellectual, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and one of... <laughs> well, and his opponent was, had a long history of military service, had a long history of public service, was... Texan, right? So, well, not from Texas, because I think they were all born in Kennebunkport, but, but had been living in Texas and had that sort of, you know, rough and ready politics kind of feel to him. And then there's Mr. Dukakis, which doesn't, I mean, he just didn't come across as sort of rough and ready the way George W. Bush did, or George H.W. Bush. But somebody gave Mike Dukakis the advice that he should get dressed up in army fatigues and get into a tank, right? Yeah, yeah, which is the dumbest advice ever. Ever, right? You know, and, and I've said this. I've been an informal advisor to can- candidates before, and I've, I, and I've told them this, you know, numerous times. Guys, okay, don't try to be somebody you're not. Right. Openly embrace who you are. Well, right? one, one may argue that, in fact, that is what Donald Trump has done. He oh, has yeah. grabbed his id and put his arms around it and been like, my id, I love you. Because he totally is himself all the time. Yes. And, Which and, is and, what drives some people bonkers, but what also makes some people love him. Like, is that he, yes. he is purely himself. 
Yeah. So, you know, I have a lot of students, okay, who fall on the liberal side of the ideological spectrum. And they are much more liberal than Joe Biden is, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and they just get absolutely driven nuts because Joe Biden in press conferences, okay, will just start wandering off and start telling, you know, stories and anecdotes, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Like, okay. But if Joe Biden all of a sudden, okay, started responding like a policy wonk, okay? Um, well, and if, if he never stuck his foot in his mouth. Yeah. Okay. He wouldn't be Joe Biden. Right. <laughs> okay. So there's this fine line here, you know, that we are discussing, okay? Because on one hand, many of us might want the president to act more presidential, and I'm speaking about Donald Trump, right? On the other hand, okay, Donald Trump, okay, has always been this brash, aggressive, you know, thinks, you know, you know, he, he's- Showman, he's a yeah. showman. Yeah, right? Think P.T. Barnum, he's- uh, a modern incarnation of that. You know, I have read, if you will, pieces about how Donald Trump's press conferences are actually good comedy and that he might actually, okay, intend them to be sarcastic comedy, right? But that's not how they're perceived by many in the media or many on the left. But nevertheless, Trump's being Trump, good or bad. And if you don't like that, then vote against him, right? Likewise, if you don't like Joe Biden coming out and saying, well, if I was president, I would just go ahead and force everybody in the country to wear a mask, okay? That's the kind of answer you get from Joe Biden. It right. drives somebody like me kind of sort of nuts because, you know, I'm a constitutional law scholar. And I'm like, you don't got that constitutional authority, dude, <laughs> okay? On the yeah. other <laughs> you have, can you actually do that? I don't think you can actually do that. You also can't put a chicken in every pot in a car in every driveway. Like... Yeah, and those were infamous slogans from the past, right? right? Okay, you know, I never knew, for instance, what exactly uh, Harry Truman meant, okay, that the buck stops with him, right? I never understood that, right? But it's the kind of thing that a guy from Missouri, okay, right. who was a failed salesperson, okay, he would go ahead and say, Right. I take responsibility. The buck yeah. stops with me. Yes. Right. Whatever happens in this government will end up being my fault. Yes. And well, again, okay, then. okay, as the constitutional law scholar, I'm like, no, okay, the buck doesn't <laughs> stop with you. There are three branches of the federal government and you have limited responsibility. At least you should. Okay. Right. Right. And limited power, please. If the yeah. buck stops with you, it means you can do whatever you want. And that's, that's terrifying as well. Yeah. yeah. Right? Okay. So, yeah. but, you know, the, to your larger point, things get said in campaigns, okay, that if the two people were just private individuals, okay, they might be able to go ahead and sue one another for defamation. Right. Okay. Under or state law. Slander is slander the one that's spoken. Yeah. Okay. But in campaigns, the thought always has been the opposition candidate still has an opportunity to respond, okay, and convince the public otherwise. 
okay? Whereas you don't have, as a private individual, the resources or even the forum to go ahead and make that response. Your reputation would be so badly damaged, okay, that your only recourse is to file a lawsuit, okay? But I mean, some of the things that have been said historically, Nia, okay, if you think politics today is polarized, is dirty, okay, with a whole bunch of mudslinging, I mean, you know, think about, for instance, in 1828, Andrew Jackson runs for president for the second time. The first time in 1824, he lost to John Quincy Adams because members of his own party, when the election was uh, decided in the House of Representatives, uh, neither he or Adams had a majority of the Electoral College. So the House of Representatives decided the election, okay? Is that the only time that's happened? Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, because the Rutherford B. Hayes election uh, went to the House. The House couldn't decide, so they had to create um, a one-time only commission, okay? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. How yeah. long did it take to figure out that election? Oh, they actually uh, 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 wrapped that up pretty quickly, oh. okay? Yeah, they wrapped it up pretty quickly. But if, uh, but if so, wait, let me pause you for just a second. And, okay, because I'm intrigued yeah. by this. Yeah. So let us say that on November 3rd, by some miracle, we do have an amount, or let's just say November 10th, right? Let's give it a week for everybody's votes to come in. And there is no clear winner. They are tied in yeah. the Electoral College. Okay, you're so jumping goes, ahead. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to stop you right now. We have already decided, Nia, to do an entire podcast episode on those hypotheticals. Okay? Oh, man. Okay, I'll wait. Okay, so I'm going to keep you on point just for today. Okay. okay. All right? I mean, because normally, normally I go anywhere you want to go. <laughs> okay. As the listeners well know, okay, we might start off a podcast episode talking about X, but then we finish with like YZ and we then- And, and giraffes. Yeah. 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 Right. And somehow and you, we're like, how did we get here? Okay. All right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Point. You're right. Okay. okay. So we're going to come back to that. We're going to put a post-it note on that and come back yeah. to it in a future episode. Yeah. You're going to put a post-it note on your computer, aren't you? I totally am. <laughs> you know, I am. I live for post-it notes. Um, okay. So, so, so slingy, muddy, like, oh, okay. So, so this oh, isn't so, even so, the worst is, is, is it no. getting worse? No, it's not getting worse, as I tell okay. my students all the time, okay? We have, okay, an incredibly short, okay, collective political memory in the United States, right? Okay, it's just incredible how we don't remember stuff in the United States. So I was giving the example about Andrew Jackson, right? So Andrew Jackson, okay, loses the presidential election in 1824, because actually some members of his party who didn't like him because he was a populist, he was anti-establishment, voted against him in the House of Representatives, right? <laughs> okay, so. That's gotta hurt. Yes, so he runs again, gets the party's nomination, okay, in 1828, but his opponent, but even some of his own party 
started spreading rumors about his wife that because she was divorced, okay, she was a slut, okay. I was going to say, she must have been a hussy. Yes, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and Jackson was kind of sort of defenseless because in the 1824 election, he accused his candidate, John Quincy Adams, of offering his maid as a concubine to the Russian czar. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> okay, so it, it does get uglier than it. Than oh it, yes, right. Okay. Um, you than know. It, than it is currently, so that makes Sleepy Joe look pretty. Uh, oh. Pretty tame. Yeah, pretty tame, right? I mean, think about when William Howard Taft ran for president. Okay, in one. Okay, in 1908. Okay. The Democratic Party frequently started off, okay, campaign events by talking about how large he was. He was a big man. He was a big man. But okay? that's not relevant to his ability to govern. Yes, right. The United States or to govern anything. That's right. Okay. I mean, this kind of wow. thing has gone on historically in our country's history, right? You know, allegations that a candidate is an alcoholic, okay? Or, you know, um, uh, engages in marital infidelity. I mean, you and I are of an age to where there was a presidential candidate, Bill Clinton, who actually went on 60 Minutes to go ahead and respond to allegations, okay, that he had numerous extramarital affairs when he was governor of Arkansas, right? Yeah, and... Can I just side note, what happens when that happens is that the wife ends up having to stand there. Yes. While the, and it's always been wife so far, uh, except for the Clintons in reverse. Yes. Where he had to stand there while she talked about it. Yes. Um, talked about his affairs. She wasn't being accused of affairs, but he was being accused of affairs still uh, ongoing. And I feel bad for the the candidate's spouse because that's a terrible thing to have to stand up in front of people and have your marriage the innards of your marriage exposed to yes. the world you know what yes. i mean like that's a really yes. i don't know that's dirty politics to me in the extreme when you force a situation like that where people have to bring out their family in order to try to defend some, I don't know. That's just awful. Well, you and I, you and I've talked uh, off air um, and I gave you this example before um, in a previous podcast episode, uh, listeners, Nia um, uh, uh, mentioned that she wanted to become uh, a justice of the Supreme court. And I told you about how um, there have been some justices who have either stepped down or have refused promotion to be chief justice because they were afraid that the press would go ahead and talk about their spouses or their kids. You know, Potter Stewart was considered, okay, to be chief justice at one point, okay, when uh, Earl Warren stepped down and um, Nixon became president and Potter Stewart um, uh, uh, went to the Oval Office and told Nixon, I don't wanna be considered 
because the media would go ahead and focus on the fact that his wife had had problems with uh, 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 alcohol and drug dependency. Okay. Now we, you know, that's one of the great what ifs in the history of the Supreme Court. Okay. Would Potter Stewart have been a really good chief justice? Right. Okay. Well, and another question is, would Betty Ford's problems had have had come up if President Ford had actually been more if Carter if Carter had actually right. Sorry, raised, if it Carter, a, right. had raised it as an issue, would Gerald Ford what would have Gerald Ford have done in response? Right. But but there does seem to have been so like this really weird thing where some candidates don't bring up things about other candidates for whatever reason like carter didn't bring up any yes. of betty ford's issues yeah um, which i say good for him because that's the right thing to do it's a decent yep. thing not to bring up yep. um it does not appear that nixon brought up kennedy's no he didn't drug addiction yes or even though he even though he could have, right? Like he could have. Or as womanizing. There were, you know, there have been, you know, books done about how Nixon in 1960, okay, was encouraged by his campaign staff to bring up both of those issues. And Nixon refused. Say what you will about Nixon when he eventually became president, okay? Um, but in 1960, he had the opportunity and he refused to do it. So do we go through cycles of people yeah, being pretty yeah. awful to their political opponents? Yeah. I mean, like, do you think that, that we're, cause we're coming off of a cycle of some pretty rough commentary that maybe in the next couple of cycles, we will have less of that. Yeah. There are political scientists who have studied election history in the United States who believe that there are cycles and in, and, and typically it's in response to candidates perceiving that the voters are no longer interested in um, wading through all that mud that's being slung. Well, okay. I would assume that it, you get to a point where you're like, I don't even want to hear this mess anymore. Just tell me what it is that you're going to do for me. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. not interested in what you think about the other guy's fatness or alcoholism, potential alcoholism or whatever. I'm interested in what you say you will do and what he says he will do and I will judge between the two of you in that way yeah okay um and 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 you and I've talked about this okay um and, and maybe it's it's age or generational okay but you and I have both have remarked during the podcast but also off air um that you know we would like to have a couple presidential administrations and a couple presidential elections um, where there's not as much dirt, there's not as much dysfunction, okay, that if I dare say it is boring. As oh, my, oh yes. Would say, I my, would give anything for a boring president and a boring election and perhaps just a boring four years where nothing really big happens. Like every president has to deal with something. There, there's something that happens in every presidency that's, that's dramatic. 
yeah, and I get that. There's no, there's no yeah. way to really dodge that bullet. But, but you, you can have presidencies which are, which are at. Okay, for listeners, I'm going to make a reference to because I'm ancient, to a film called Spinal Tap, um, <laughs> where his amplifier goes to 11 and it's because he's put a piece of tape next to the 10 and marked 11 right but he's like mine goes to 11 um and if you don't get it it's it's just sort of the maximum like like there are some presidencies that spend their entire presidency at the maximum of distress roosevelt comes to mind right with world war ii and the great depression yeah and the right like just like i can't I can't win for losing because there's always something going on. But for most presidencies, you have a spike of something terrible, but then you, then you get at least a little bit of calm. And boy, this, whatever else may be said about President Trump, and there are many things that you and I have said and could say, there's been a lot. There's been a lot to deal with. Um, and, you know, and 2020 has been such a tumultuous year for everybody world over that i think we could all use a break we could all use for 2021 to just be sort of a nap year <laughs> we all just take a big nap everybody has some oreo cookies or whatever kind of cookies you like if you don't like oreo and a glass of milk or milk substitute and a nap yep, yep. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly because holy goodness we can't have another one of these where we we have another year like this year i don't think my heart can take it well, yeah, I mean, and, and after a while, and, and, and there's quite a bit of literature uh, in a subfield of political science called political psychology, that after a while, um, uh, uh, the, the public becomes docile uh, because there are so many big events, okay, and there's so much symbolism attached to those events that um, uh, they need a break, okay? You just get exhausted. Yeah, you get exhausted. Um, and uh, uh, but there are cycles of this. Okay, uh, presidential scholars have pointed this out. Uh, election scholars have pointed this out. Um, and the causal chain hasn't always been clearly identified. Is it the voters that indicate that you know they don't they want less mud? They want less you know fewer outrageous claims made during campaigns, or is it the candidates who are basically you know, leading the public and saying, I'm going to do better than these most recent examples, okay? But nevertheless, there are usually cycles. There are usually cycles. Or I mean, do the parties find blander people after you've had <laughs> some really intense people? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to slam Michael Dukakis, but did he just miss his window? Well, I mean, Like, hey, if he I mean, was the candidate now... Mr. Boring, bland, just sort of like, hello, hello. He might be a welcome. Well, it, it, it was. You know what of, I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of a, maybe it's something like that where the, where the parties look around and say, all right, who can we get that is tapioca pudding and won't <laughs> offend anybody or that it would be harder to come up with things about? Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of interesting because after, um, uh, the Nixon presidency. Um, in 1976, you had Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford. You're not talking about 
two really <laughs> scintillating candidates. Yeah, it, that it, that's a loaf of white bread election right there. Yeah, right? That, that's Wonder Bread with some peanut butter and the simplest jelly you can find. Yeah, right. I mean, in, in neither in neither one of the in neither one of them. I, or, let me correct that. Both of them were nice people by and right. large. By all accounts, they were good people. Yeah, right? just good guys. Yep. Yes, right. So the 76 presidential campaign was not noted, <laughs> okay, for the kind of mudsling <laughs> that we've been discussing. Right? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't, I was pretty young uh, yeah. at the time, so I don't remember. But I, now that I think about it, I don't remember any slogans that were particularly. Well, and in the 1988, it was, you know, the first Bush and Mike Dukakis, right? I mean, there were people in both political parties who were like, are these two guys going to be able to mobilize our base, right? Because, you know, Bush. Both policy wonks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, Bush had been CIA chief. Yeah, and, yeah you know, the, the vice president. Yeah. I mean, in fact, one of the criticisms within the Republican Party was he was a good administrator. Would he be a good leader? Okay. And again, Mike Dukakis, former governor of Massachusetts, right? He was a policy dude, right? He was proudly a policy dude until he, you know, jumped into that tank. But nevertheless, right? Well, but then you get the Willie Horton ad. Yes. Right, right from the Bush side, which it, was... It, which was extremely, ex un extremely uncharacteristic, but extremely effective. Yes, because right? I still remember, I can still visualize it. Okay. Like, I remember what it looked like on TV, that ad. And again, as much as you and I are bemoaning mudslinging as i say to my students if you're tired of it okay think about why it is still used so much it is still effective with certain parts of the electorate they oh. like the, they like the mudslinging and Can the I media in the media let's be very clear and again we can debate the causal you know chain here Okay, but the media loves that stuff. Oh, yeah, it gives them something to talk about. Okay. I'm just going to say, though, that any group of people who have thumbs up and thumbs down on people's posts can't, <laughs> can't snivel to me about, about, ooh, politics are too mudslingy. I'm like, no, no, you guys live and die by likes, so I don't want to hear it. Like, yeah. that's, that is the version of that for, for, for social media. It's this. Yes. It's a mud. It's a version of mudslinging. I like what you say. I don't like what you say. I don't like what you. The comments section, in people's TikTok and in people's, you know, um, YouTube Instagram. videos, yes. can be awful. People say horrible things. Yes. And they say that because we because that's humans do that to each other. We say nasty, terrible things, often when we are anonymous or we think we can get away with it. Sure. Um, yeah. Which presidential campaign, you know, like they hardly ever will say that to each other's face. face. When you put them in a debate and you're like, oh, I heard you were talking about my mama the other night. You want to bring that up now? The other person says, I wasn't talking about your mama. I was just talking about mamas in general. You know, like they try to get out of it because they don't want to, because it's really hard to, yes. to face to face say something horrible to somebody. And again, that's why. Although Donald Trump seems to be okay at, 
Yeah, okay. Donald Trump doesn't care, right? He's I mean, he's but he he also I I I think that reality television may give you a different view of that a different view of like i think a lot of what he does is performative for the cameras i don't think he means a, a lot of what he says when he says mean things i think he knows that that gets views and it gets ratings and it gets attention which any mm. attention in that world is good attention regardless yes. of even being the bad guy in world in in worldwide wrestling like in, in the wwe yes. is still being is still getting attention even if you're the bad guy like yeah i mean there are certain industries certain walks of life where even negative attention is better than no attention at all right and, and donald trump is operated in at least two of those industries or professions okay the business world, okay, and TV. Well, and especially real estate. Yeah. Right, I mean, like being a want, real estate, like... You want people talking aggressive about what is you okay. are doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you want people talking about what you are doing, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I tell and I tell my students this all the time, right? You know, for all you guys complaining about how dirty and nasty and corrupt politics are, okay, um, you guys don't want to go ahead and have face-to-face -face conversations. Okay, you do it on a computer screen, right? If you were actually forced to actually like sit down with a person and try to understand what, you know, the, the genesis of their thoughts and have, a, uh, and then have to explain to another person the genesis of your thoughts, okay? Many of you all don't like to do that, right? I'm participating, okay, but I'm participating on social media. I'm like, no. Okay, get away from your computers, get away from your phones, get away from your iPads, okay, and actually have a conversation where you got to sit down and, and look at somebody face to face and say, oh, that's what you mean by that. Or so what, it, explain that to me. Why do you believe that, right? Well, because I mean, you have to recognize their humanity when you do that. Oh, sure. That's why political ads run on television opposite each other as opposed to people saying it in the debate. If I said to you, if you and I were debating and I said to you, you know, I hear you're an alcoholic, right? You could say, really? Where do you hear that? Yeah. Like, who, what's your source? And yeah. then, well, some people. Really? Who are those people? Are they people yeah. who know me? Are they people who are around me regularly? Is it my spouse? Is it my children? Like, and I then it sort of makes the per the other, it would make me say, oh, well, maybe that's not, maybe that's not true. Or I may even ask a preceding question. So what? Why, well, there why is that. that. Yeah. Why is it? Why, why would that matter? Okay. Um, is, is, is that a negative characteristic for a candidate or because I've gone through those struggles, okay, I'm a better candidate. Right. Okay. Because I understand self-control and the ability to exercise it. Yes. Like, right. Like you could turn that into something like, right there, but we don't, they don't do that because they talk at pu the public instead of talking to each other. That's right. Okay. I mean, cause I'm more fascinated when I actually get to watch people talk to one another okay about what they emphasize what they don't emphasize how oh. good how good how good of a listener are they 
if I am ever running the debates, hey, CNN, if you're listening to this, which I know you're not, but if you are, put me in charge of a debate because here's what I would do. I would give a list of, of questions to the candidates and I, say, I would say, you will ask each other these questions. You will not talk to me. You will not talk to the audience because there will be no audience. You will talk to each other and you will debate ideas between each other. You will say, here's what I don't like about your plan and here's how I would change blah, 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 blah. What we would find if they were forced to do that is that they agree on lots of things because lots of things are rational and rational people would agree on them, right? We're not going to just invade Canada because we want ice, right? We're <laughs> like, you know, like we're going to, like we agree. I mean, I like Canadian ice, but I don't think we should just go invade them to get it. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like they would have, they, there would be a lot more, I think that people would say, oh, this is more nuanced than they want me to believe. Because when they turn to the, to the audience and they answer those questions, they're talking in sound bites. They know that the media is going to pick up on a sentence or a clause that they say, and they're trying to get the right one. Yes. So they just throw word salad at the audience and the audience is like, did he say anything? Cause I don't know what I just heard. Whereas if you were forced to talk to each other, you wouldn't be able to get away with that. The other person would call you on it and say, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, you didn't. What listen. do you mean you want to invade Canada to get their ice? Talk, talk to me about what's so great about Canadian ice, and don't you think that the rule of law matters here? I mean, like, yeah. What well, you think about, for instance, and in, and in, uh, in, let's close the the episode on this point because I'm going to go ahead and take us back to our first episode when we went ahead and explained why we wanted to do this podcast, and that is to have civil discourse. And part of civil discourse is actually listening to the person or people you are talking to. Okay. Not thinking while somebody's talking, I can go ahead and score points because they've said this. Actually listening to what they are saying. Okay. And responding meaningfully to what they are saying. Right. Yep. So one of the reasons why I like doing this podcast with you, and I've told you this off air, is I'm not always entirely sure where you're going to go, but part of my responsibility as a person having a conversation with you is listening, okay, is listening to you, okay, um, and, then, and that doesn't oftentimes occur with mudslinging. Right. I mean, I may have understood what the president was saying about voting twice. Okay. But look at how it was portrayed. Right. I may have understood why Joe Biden said, okay, if I'm president, I want everybody wearing a mask. Okay. I understood what he was saying. Right. Right. He He's saying as a moral leadership. Yes. Okay? Right. I'm going to, I'm going to encourage, he knows he can't. Yes, right? Because he was in the Senate long enough to know what the powers and not powers are. But Yeah, well, the president, okay? But like, he was trying to be big and bad with his, yes. I will... Okay, and, and, and unfortunately, okay, that kind of nuance... Um, uh, uh, Doesn't it, fit it, in it, the soundbite, does it? Yeah, it gets displaced. And, that, and, that's, and that's the sad thing, at least for me. 
right? Yeah, I don't think the media does a good job of parsing these things and saying, you know, okay, that's what the person said. That's probably not what they intended because they know better. Both, and I don't think the president intended to get people in trouble having a felony, right? Like, you know, go commit a felony. That I don't think Donald Trump wants people to do that. I think he was, he, he, I think he honestly was trying to figure out a way to reassure people that they would be able to vote. He yeah. just didn't do it particularly artfully. Can I say, one, I love talking to you about these things because I always learn something. But two, and this is a message for our listeners, you can actually check to see if your mail-in ballot has been received. Yes. In almost every state, I believe, or every state, I, can't, I think there's one where you can't. But you can go online at your election commission about a week after you mail it, and they will show that they have received your ballot. Yes. So, and, and it doesn't and, and, show everybody what you voted. It's a still a ballot that's private. You're not, yes. but you can say, yes, my ballot has been received and I feel comfortable that I have, that I have voted. Um, you don't have to vote twice. So please don't, because in some places that, the reason it's considered a felony is because they can't tell your intent. Yes. If your intent was honestly just to check, that's one thing. But if your intent was to be malicious, they can't tell the difference between those things. So they have to assume malicious intent unless they show otherwise. Very good. Yep. Correct. So thank you for talking to me about this. And we will, I guess we'll get to watch more and more dumb things being said for the next few weeks, huh? <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> for the All next right. seven weeks. Um. <laughs> Uh, well, then we may be back to talk to you guys about that again. Thanks, yeah. Augie. Yep. Thank you. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.